0: This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a photo podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players
1: Championship. I'm Eric Walkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Walkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Louis Ditto, a High Stakes Fantasy Football player that has won numerous FFPC Dynasty titles as well as league championships and the Football Guys Players Championship total career winning in the FFPC, total nearly $80,000. In this episode, we break down the FFPC rookie drafts, including why he's down on Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins, and what non-first-round receiver should be getting more love than he actually is. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is $80,000 high-stakes fantasy football winner Louis Ditta. The first Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown podcast episode after the 2020 NFL Draft, and what an NFL Draft it was, so we had to go and get a great guest, which is what we did, the FFPC 1250 number 4 Dynasty League Champion from 2019, Lou Detta. Louie, what's up, man?
2: Hey, Eric, how you doing, man? Good to be with you. Do-
1: doing good. Did you enjoy the draft? More importantly, did you enjoy your FFPC rookie drafts for the first week?
2: Absolutely. You know, with all that's been going on in this world, uh, it was kind of good to get back to something a little bit normal, something that I'm used to doing this time of year.
1: Yeah, exactly. Did uh, So I, I'm just kind of curious, Did you, for your rookie drafts, were you kind of picking all over the place? Did you have mostly picks at the – I know you, you did. You, you had a lot of top two finishes in Dynasty Leagues last year. You're mostly picking at the end of the first round?
2: Yeah, I have uh, – I think my best pick uh, – I think I'm six or seven dynasty leagues. I think my best picks was number four, and that I think that came from a trade. But yeah, most of my other ones, fortunately, were over in the, were in the eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve spots.
1: Yeah, that's always good, especially, uh, by the way, well, we'll get into it, but especially in a year like this where it seems like it's the, the talent pool is a little bit deeper than previous dynasty years, uh, it, it it's always good to have those picks late in the first round. Let's get into it and start talking a little bit about some of these uh, the rookies and the new spots, and we'll kick things off with the first running back that went off the board Thursday night, pick 32, the world champion Chiefs, uh, invest in Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I saw a lot of mock drafts, um, in drafting season that had the Chiefs taking a running back, but more often than not, it was, it was usually DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor. I guess towards the end of it, I did see some Edwards Hilaire mocks with them going, uh, with, with the running back from LSU there. I still was surprised to see it actually happen. Um, is Edwards Hilaire to, to you, is he the 101 pick for Dynasty Leagues this year? Is that who you'd be taking?
2: Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, like I said, I didn't have any ones, but yeah, he would have been, and and, and I, it could have very easily been anyone else in that spot, you know, we all know how running backs do, and Andy Reid's offenses, you go back, and you look at guys like Damian Williams, who used to be a backup at Miami, and mostly a third down back, and then all of a sudden, he comes to Kansas City, and turns into a RB1 at the end of his first season, and so, you know, he goes into a situation now where, I mean, he's surrounded by a lot of weapons, you got Damian Williams now 28 years old in a contract year. I mean, I guess there's chances of re-signing next year, but, you know, he'll be in his 29-year season. So I think he goes in there uh, right away and, and probably gets playing time more in a in a committee approach. But uh, I, I do think for the long term, over the next three, four years, five years, you think about that high-powered Kansas City offense, I don't think you can go wrong. I think of, as a PPR format, I definitely have him as, as a one one a over Jonathan Taylor.
1: And one of the, I think one of the things that I always, because I really liked Edward Toler in the pre-draft process and, and I couldn't believe, you know, I'm looking at some of these, uh, different content outlets pu- putting up, you know, um, uh, dynasty rankings you know pre NFL draft and I couldn't believe how far Edwards Hilaire is down because one of the things I consistently read about him was that he is a very good pass catcher out of the backfield and I think with not only the NFL putting a premium on that but but high stakes fantasy football players putting a premium on that to me it just struck me that he should be going higher and now he is you know whether we wanted him to go uh to the Chiefs in the first round or not he is uh I think by and large was the overwhelming majority of FFPC 101 rookie picks this year and as you pointed out for the next half decade you'd like to think that he's going to put up some pretty big numbers in Kansas City maybe as soon as this year and I think another guy that could be putting up numbers right away this year maybe even the first half of the season we'll see is Jonathan Taylor uh, the guy who ends up going to the Colts in the early second round you know they had Marlon Mack, uh on this team and he was okay in 2018. He was okay in 2019. It, it seems to me that, that they're looking for some more punch there. How soon will he be, or will he be, a three-down bell cow for Indianapolis?
2: You know, I I think it might take a while, uh, in my opinion. I think a lot of that has to do with the limited camp uh, time. You know, he's going to have to probably not have as much time to get acclimated to the, the playbook and, and just to the – getting used to being in the NFL and so forth. And I think that might affect his ability to, to take on someone like Mac, who, you know, he's young as well. So uh, I do think, you know, he'll come in early and probably get some of the touchdown carries and, and certainly be a, a serviceable uh, fancy back. But I, I did count him as like my 1-1-B. One, one uh, I think what really separated for me, Edward Hilaire and, and Taylor was obviously where they landed, uh, you know, KC versus, versus uh, Indianapolis, but also – uh, you know, I don't think Taylor is known as being as good of a receiver as Hilaire in a PPP format. Uh, I mean, PPR format. you start saying PPP, and this time I think a lot of people are using that PPP PPR. <laughs> But uh PPR. But in, in, in that format, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, you have to go with the, the better pass catcher. But I, I think in time, I think Taylor will be the number one guy. Maybe as early as next year. Um, he's going to be you know, running behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And I actually think having Philip Rivers, you know, I know he's up there in age, but I think he has a couple more years left in his tank. And I think he'll help open things up a little bit. So I, you might not get as much from him this year, in my opinion, as you would from someone like uh, Edwards Hilaire. But I do think if you look forward into the into the future in a couple of years, you might be looking at the guy who actually uh, outperforms everyone else.
1: Yeah, I and and Taylor too. You know, being from uh Wisconsin, a a guy who's who's followed the Badger's program pretty closely. You know, I enjoyed rooting for him the last uh 3 years here uh for for Wisconsin. And, and one of the things I did notice and, and I think anybody um who's done even a cursory look at his college numbers, he whether it was him or whether it was Wisconsin, uh, he did a better job catching the football this year than he did in years past, and I think that really helped move his stock up not only for the NFL draft but for rookie drafts as well. I think people are much more open to the possibility that he can be at least an average pass catcher in the NFL or maybe even better. Um, I, okay, so so this was an interesting pick, and I believe this was the first or second pick off the board on day two of the NFL draft. Uh, Detroit takes DeAndre Swift. Um, they already have carry on Johnson, who's who's looked pretty good when he's been healthy, at least in Detroit. You think this is a long I mean, I'm, I'm kind of ga- gauging your opinion on what Detroit thinks of what they have here, Louis. But is do they think that this is going to be a long term 50 50 split or is Swift simply just much more talented when you consider the pass catching acumen that he brings to the table that he's going to be a top 10 fantasy running back sooner rather than later?
2: You know, and, and I actually loved Swift before the draft. I, I, I don't like his landing spot, but I actually thought um, he, he could have very well been my number one. Uh, it would have been between uh, him, Taylor, and, and J.K. Dobbins, but I don't like his landing spot because even though Kerryon Johnson has um, injury problems, I mean, he's young. He's pretty darn good player. I think when he's on the field, you know, he's performed well. It, you know, I you've probably heard this too, but they, they basically are similar type running backs, so it's almost like um. They're saying, hey, look, we like Carrie Ann Johnson type of running back. Bring in DeAndre Moore as a as a insurance policy. They'll probably be using them both. Um, but long term, I, I really am not a big fan of of this landing spot. So I stayed away from him. I actually jumped to receiver on the pick that I had. I believe it was number four in one of my drafts. I had the opportunity to go get uh, DeAndre Swift, but I didn't, and I went with the receiver instead.
1: Um, let's, and we're going to, we're going to talk about this here in a second, but I'm, I'm curious, um, obviously that the top three picks, uh, top three running, uh, running backs, as, as far as ADP goes in FFPC rookie drafts, Edwards, Lair, Taylor Dobbins, you had the four pick, you could have gone swift. You went with receiver. Was there any question? I mean, were, were you considering Cam Akers at all at that spot at, at the four or was it simply between swift or, or one of the pass catchers?
2: You know, I, I, I actually had. I had moved uh, Cam Akers pretty far down and, and maybe talked talk, talk about him a little bit later. Um, I don't like the situation. I mean, I know I sound like I'm I'm being negative towards some of these guys, but I don't like the Cam Akers landing spot as, as well. And so I really, once it got past uh, Dobbins, uh, you know, I was I was receiver, receiver. Um, and, and like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about Cam Akers, I guess, later on in the program. But, uh, yeah, Swift, because of on Johnson being there, uh, I've moved him down to the seven or eight pick uh, behind a few receivers. I think if on Johnson gets hurt, now that would be a whole different situation. I think he'll perform like a top three back. But with him being there, you know, unless some, for some reason they were to change uh, to trade on, I think you're going to see a, a 50-50 uh, uh, committee, running back committee for a few years.
1: Louis, let's talk about it, and I want to talk specifically about the Ravens and the Rams and, and how they shape up um, going forward. But let's talk about the Rams first, since we're talking about Acres. Um, Los Angeles already had Malcolm Brown, who, ironically, the Lions signed to an offer sheet last year that the Rams matched. They kept him, uh, you know, and, and paying you know a decent price for for, ba- for a backup running back. You know the the draft capital that they sunk into Daryl Henderson last year in trading up to make sure they got him. Now they don't have Gurley. Uh, anymore, but Akers does join a a crowded, I guess you could call it a crowded backfield there right now. Is that what is kind of has you down on Akers, is just fighting for touches?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, over the last several years, I've I've realized, like most uh, dynasty players or any fantasy football player knows, you know, touches and opportunities are so important. You could be the most talented guy in the world, but if you're stuck on a a depth chart behind a couple other guys, you know, you basically somewhat wasted a pick. I really liked Akers before the draft, but then after the draft, you know, I moved him down as well. I think he has some serious competition from both Malcolm Brown, like you said. They signed to that large contract. And and Darrell Henderson, I know he struggled in year one, um, but that can happen sometime with new systems and getting used to the speed of the NFL. We've seen lots of guys that have struggled in their rookie years and then come back and have excellent years in years two and beyond, and I think, you know, we could be in that kind of scenario, and I just didn't want to take the chance. I, it just looks to me like even though Kim Akers is very talented, good pass catcher, and they've even said that he might be one of the best pass catchers in this in this draft as well, but I just don't like being in a situation where I, I waste a, an early draft pick that, you know, three or four years down the road, it, you don't even know if you're going to have it then, but you're going to basically be using up a roster spot for three or four years when they come into something like he's come into.
1: What about, and, and I, I have a feeling, I know how, how you're going to answer this one, but J.K. Dobbins was the uh, fourth running back off the board uh, in, the, in the NFL draft. He joins Mark Ingram, uh, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, a lot of backfield uh, um, running backs to, to join Lamar Jackson for Baltimore. I, I, I'm just curious as, as to uh, your opinion on how the Ravens are going to deploy the touches back there specifically I guess mostly between Ingram and uh, and Dobbins right away in year
2: one you know I um, obviously I think with him you know being young again with limited camp they, they might not be able to bring these guys along as quickly as they have in prior years so I think Ingram will get the bulk of carries early in the season um, but I do think Dobbins landed in a, in a great spot uh, not just for this year but the future I think you'll probably start seeing him mixed in a little bit just like you saw you know Ingram splitting the backfield with Kamara I know it's a whole different kind of Uh, running back style, but I think they might go more into a Dobbins and and Ingram, uh, you know, split carries and preparing Dobbins for the future. And if you look at what he's got there, he's got an excellent – for the future, he's got an excellent offensive line. Uh, He's got a dynamic quarterback that, you know, defenses have to account for, and, and, you know, that always helps running backs as well. Uh, So I I actually think – I know I said this earlier, but this guy, Dobbins, he might wind up being the top guy four years from now of who do we draft, who who did the best in the 2020 rookie draft? I think he has a great chance of being that guy even above Edwards Hare. Um
1: yeah, and and to to be the running back behind Lamar Jackson, we've already seen um the advantages that Mark Ingram in and this and the, the the um spoils he has reaped uh playing behind jackson could be huge for dobbins who might even be more of a pedigreed guy than than ingram ever was too that's something to keep in mind too uh so good point on that let's shift we've been talking a lot about receivers here Louis. let's talk about receivers and i want to uh, ask you about the first one off the board from thursday night at the nfl draft Raiders surprised um well, maybe they didn't surprise a lot of people given their penchant for speed and drafting speed over the years. They draft Henry Ruggs arguably uh, and maybe uh, mathematically the uh, the fastest receiver in the draft. That didn't crunch all the 40s. But would you be picking him as the first receiver off the board in your rookie drafts too? Uh,
2: no, not for me. You know, I've, I've always been – you know, you can always gather a lot by draft capital. And certainly when you have someone like Ruggs going as, as the number one receiver – you've got to pay attention to that, but uh, he's another one of the guys that I just, in my opinion, his value went down because of his landing spot. I mean, he's a great athlete. He's fast. He's quick. He can pretty much run from, uh, play any position, uh, wide receiver position. Um, he's probably the best athlete in this wide receiver class. I think he might have had the highest spark score at the combine, but I just don't think, you know, with with all the question marks about David Carr and Mo- Mariota behind him, uh, you know, who knows what happens with his offense, and I think, you know, you've got another year or two for Gruden to do something or you might be looking at a whole new uh, coach coming in. I'm really hoping the Raiders turn it around because I think it will be exciting to have a a good football team playing in Las Vegas. But I just think there were safer picks at wide receiver in this draft considering considering his landing spot.
1: You know the inter- interesting thing with Ruggs and the Raiders too is, you know, I was surprised to see him go off the board first. But when I saw the Raiders use three of their first four picks uh, on receivers, and they they get Brian Edwards out of South Carolina, they take Lynn Bowden from uh, Kentucky. Now all of a sudden, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, what are what are they developing here? Because this is a lot of young talent, uh, and that that's going to require spraying the ball around a lot. And and I didn't know if Ruggs would you know, be the de facto deep threat and he wouldn't be treated as a true number one. I wasn't sure, but I can tell you this, as far as FFPC rookie drafts went this past week, Ruggs was the first receiver off the board in the NFL draft. He was the sixth receiver on average off the board uh, in rookie drafts. So I think uh, FFPC players are are buying into a lot of what you're saying here too, Lou. I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense that, um, that you would take Ruggs uh, as the first receiver off the board. Let's talk about two guys that I think many people thought, most people thought, would be the first receiver. One of these guys would be the first receiver drafted in the 2020 NFL draft, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy. Now, they both end up uh, in uh, on two different teams with a lot of talent, not just at the wide receiver position, uh, but the tight end position uh, and, and running back, too. There's a lot of weapons on both of these teams. Who do you like better for Dynasty purposes between Lamb and Judy?
2: You know, it, as far as the athlete, it, it would it would have been Judy. But as far as landing spot, um, well, actually, to be honest with you, I think Judy is, is the better landing spot as well. The only concern I had about him is, is you know, having Drew Locke there and, and hoping that he will continue to progress as a quarterback. I think Judy's another fast guy who can play all the wide receiver positions. And I think over time, um, he'll probably start out as a slot, but I think over time he'll probably pass Sutton as the number one receiver. I just think a lot of his – uh, future performance is going to depend upon uh, how well Drew Locke um, develops. I think, um, you know, if, if Locke develops well, I think um, eventually you may be looking at a, a quarterback wide receiver perennial top 10 combination kind you saw with, you know, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas or Matt Ryan and, and Julio Jones and guys like that. I think it has potential, but I think it has more to do with Locke than it does Judy. Uh, in regards to Lamb – I mean, now he goes into a situation where he's got a little depth chart issue more so than I think Judy does, but he's going into a scenario where he's got, you know, one of the top quarterbacks uh, in the NFL, for fantasy purposes at least, uh, the dynamic offense, and I think uh, great offensive line. you got guys like Ezekiel Elliott Mari Cooper and Michael Gallup that are going to be taking some attention away. I think he'll start out as the number three, but I think he's going to get a lot of targets. He'll, get a lot of, he'll probably be running out of the slot, uh, take some of those Randall Cobb-type targets away but I think they'll also rely on him on the outside a little bit too I think it won't be long before he'll pass Michael Gallup as the uh, as the number two it might not be till later in the season but I really like CD lamb uh, I like his upside between the two of those guys I probably would would go with Judy because of the depth chart but it, I could have just as easily chose lamb because of the offensive scheme that he's going to be playing in.
1: Yeah, it, this is and this is going to be a decision that I will have to make in at least one of my leagues for sure between Lam because I know I'm gonna have a pick between Lamb and Judy and I haven't made up my mind and I look at this from the standpoint obviously from a lot of the stuff that that you have said here, uh Louis, but I look at it Judy I, I think I'm with you I think he will eventually overtake Sutton to be the number one receiver on that team. Lamb is a different story because. Lamb, I think there's no question he's more of a pedigree guy than Michael Gallup, and, and it won't be long before he is the number two. Will he ever be the number one on Dallas? I'm a lot more sure that Judy has a better shot at doing that for Denver than Lamb does for Dallas. But at the same time, I have a lot more faith in Dak Prescott as a quarterback than I do over Drew Locke. Now, Drew Locke could be great. I just don't know yet. And that's sort of like what I'm weighing right now because, you know, you bring up the depth chart with Lamb, and and, and certainly that – it. it Looks better for Judy right now, but as far as quarterbacks go, assuming they lock up Dak Prescott, they're going to be paying him a lot of money and Cooper a lot of money. And I don't think that they planned on drafting Lamb because they didn't think he was going to be around. So I'm not quite sure how he fits into those plans. It's just it, it's something I'm going back and forth on. Was this a tough tough call for you too, or, or or did you just end up going Judy?
2: It definitely was. I I actually wound up going with Judy, but it was definitely a tough call for me. I went with Judy mainly because I thought he'd have a quicker route to being that number one guy. And I'm always trying to be in that win mode since I've had a decent season. You know, now's the time for me to try to go for it. And I just feel like Judy had the, the next one or two years, I think he had the, the, the most opportunity there. Uh, but I tell you, if, if somebody gets hurt, especially if Amari Cooper, Cooper gets hurt, uh, that could change things really quick. That's when I'm going to probably regret it because I think if, if something happened to Mari Cooper, I think you could be looking at a you know a top twelve wide receiver uh, at least in the second half of the, of the season.
1: With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner Bet Online still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution guys looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds get to bluechew.com bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level they've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis so you know they work and since they're chewable they work faster You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BlueWire. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue chu.com promo code BlueWire. Uh, let's talk about Justin Jefferson, who is has uh, basically been, I believe, the number, yeah, the number three receiver off the board in, in rookie draft behind Lamb and Judy. He caught nearly all of his passes for the LSU Tigers, uh, last year out of the slot. Um, you know, it sounds like, you know, obviously Minnesota was really hurting for slot production last year. So I would assume that Jefferson, it just seemed natural that he would go in the slot and catch a bunch of balls from Kirk cousins. But I know that they have publicly said that Jefferson is going to play some on the outside as well. Are you concerned about him maybe being a, a rookie draft bust if they do end up playing him on the outside more than putting him in the slot?
2: Yeah. You know, yes, I would be, um, you know, I really liked Jefferson, but I wound up uh, I actually wound up drafting him in a couple of leagues because he was falling you know that toward the end of the first round, you know the eight, the nine, the ten, somewhere in that range on a lot of drafts. People were picking running backs, uh, and so I did draft him in a couple of leagues. Uh, but I just I, he's another one of the guys that I was a little bit concerned about his landing spot. I think on the depth chart part, uh, I, you know he's, Adam Thielen's a little older, and so he may have an opportunity there. I just don't know if he's that kind of guy that's ever going to be uh, one of those number one guys. I, he he might be uh, one of those guys that performs well with the with the low floor. Excuse me, uh, a higher floor, uh, but also a lower ceiling. You know, I, I just don't see him even when thielen has gone as being the kind of uh, the guy that's going to be a number one. And you know, and then when you add on to it the fact that you know Minnesota has shown um, that they want to focus on the run and so forth, I think is. The number of uh, targets and opportunities uh, could be limited as well. And so I really haven't paid attention to seeing him on the outside and whether or not he's going to have the kind of strength uh, to get off the line of scrimmage on the outside or not. But, uh, yeah, I would definitely be concerned. I picked him because I think he was the, the best value at my draft spots. Um, but uh, I do have some concerns about, you know, what his future would be. I see him more as a wide receiver, too.
1: Yeah, maybe not the highest ceiling in the in the uh, in the draft, but certainly with his hands and his route running, he's going to he should carve out a decent career should. I mean, we never know, but but that's the way it's looking right now. Um a guy that um the Philadelphia Eagles picked um caught a lot of people off guard because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, draft necks or whatever thought that Justin Jefferson was going to be going to Philly. Instead, the Eagles passed on him. To take TCU's Jalen Rager, uh, and he's going to be a, an entertaining rookie pick catching passes from Carson Wentz or maybe Jalen Hurts down the road. I don't know. Does he have the highest year one ceiling among all receivers given the surrounding depth chart uh, in Philadelphia at the wideout spot?
2: I do. I think he does. Not long term, but year one performance, I think. Uh, you know, you're what, you got Alson Jeffries, olders had a lot of injuries. Um Eagles really haven't even shown that much of a commitment to him other than just kind of, uh, you know, filling a spot. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's getting up there, really been just somebody who stretches the field for the most part. But both of those guys are just, uh, you know, they're on their way out. And, and so I think, you know, with the way Wentz likes to, to, to throw the ball and, and likes to hit the underneath passes, I see Rager as having an opportunity to get a lot of targets this year. And again, like I was saying, I love to, to to draft opportunity, even if it's just opportunity in the first couple of years. Uh, he's certainly somebody who I think that could very well be a wide receiver, or at least be Wentz's number one wide receiver uh, by default by the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, looking, and you mentioned a lot of these these guys, but you look at those that Eagles depth chart. I mean, you got Jeffrey and Jackson who, uh, you know, are are getting really long in the tooth. You have Arthago Whiteside who, who, I mean, he was a rookie last year. You don't want to put too much on him but there were other rookies that showed better than him. They trade for Marquise Goodwin. They draft Quez Watkins late, and and they're going to take Khalil Tate a guy who played quarterback in college to to try to transform him into a receiver, which is what they did with Greg Ward out of Houston. But Rager, to me, just as far as who I'd be excited about at the wide receiver position, Rager really gets my juices going uh, for Dynasty as well as Redraft too when you consider where he's going there too. I think he makes for a a sensible choice. Yeah,
2: didn't they pass on Justin Jefferson?
1: They 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 did.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, which was a little bit surprising. I wasn't sure, but I, I thought that Rager went ahead of him
1: yeah it, it, that was just I mean to me it was a for I was watching the draft and it was a foregone conclusion. I'm like, oh my goodness, the Eagles are got to be super thrilled that Justin Jefferson is is here for him and then they take Rager, which totally caught me off guard. and then obviously the Vikings enjoying Justin Jefferson's uh, skill set for at least the next uh, four, maybe five years. All right, so we we talk a lot about FFPC on this podcast, uh, Louie and and uh, obviously, Uh, I'm contractually obligated to at least talk about the tight ends for one of the questions I want to ask you, even though it was kind of a down year for them. uh, Not one of them was picked until the third round of FFPC rookie drafts on average, um, is there anyone in this class that that you were willing to take a shot on that that you wanted to to say yeah maybe this guy might be worth it down the road? It's tricky, I know, because of of the short benches and and um, what you have to trim down to on Dynasty Cutdown Day. But were there any tight ends that that you're willing to take a look at in your FFPC rookie drafts?
2: You know, I think I've kind of learned my lesson over the the last few years regarding you know drafting rookie tight ends. Um, you know, there are there are always a few special talents that come along every so often that that you need to go ahead and snatch up at some point, even in the late first round or even sooner than that if you have to. Or otherwise you'll be paying several picks to try to get them a few years down the road, but like the year, I guess, when Ingram and Howard and the Joko and those guys, I think they all will be drafted in the first you know, 20 picks. And so you have years like that, but when, when you don't have a year like that, I've I learned to kind of wait because I think um, there, there's opportunities on the waiver wire um, that come along a little later on. I, I think that um, – you know, you can always kind of find a few guys here and there that you can you can plug in. I think my strategy really for FFPC since it's a tight end um, um, heavy format is to try to get me a real good tight end that I could depend upon, a starter that's you know uh, week in week out. You can you can depend upon him to get you quite a few targets and or TDs, and then try to fill in with just guys you pick up here and there. There's been a few players, tight ends over the years, where I've had them. And I just can't hold them long enough. They don't have enough uh, roster space. And then all of a sudden I drop them. And then you know, a year or two later, all of a sudden now they're starting and, and turn into a, a pretty good tight end. So, so what I've learned to do is wait for other people to do that, let them draft them, take up a roster spot. And when they drop them, I'll, I'll pick them up the end.
1: Yeah, I think that's the way to – you know, what's so funny is because I play in one of the private dynasty leagues I'm, I'm in. I, I don't necessarily target tight ends, and it is not a tight end premium scoring league that, that I'm in. But somehow I have Hawkinson, Greg Olson, O.J. Howard, and um, I think uh, Tyler Higby on that team. And I, I can't – it's just too much roster space. And I don't want to drop any of them. I, get, I mean, I suppose I could drop Olson at this point. Um, he's served me well for a while. But I can't get anything for him in trades either. <laughs> you know, it's just so frustrating.
2: You know, if I had a gun put to my head to, to draft one, I probably would have gone with the, uh, that, that guy, Devin uh, Asiasi. Uh, yes, for, for the Patriots. I I, mean, I think the depth chart looks kind of open for him, and we know how Belichick likes to to utilize the tight end in his offense. I mean, I know it takes a while for tight ends to catch on, but if you were trying to you know throw a dart at somebody who has a who has a really good chance of having playing time this year and developing into a pretty good talent, I think he's athletic and he's a good blocker, and and I think that uh, you know he might have an opportunity for the Patriots.
1: Uh, final question for you, Lou. You've been uh, very gracious with your time, which I always appreciate. Um, a rookie that you think is is going to be a dynasty bust, a guy that you are avoiding in the first round, like the plague, a guy that you're not willing to take a chance on in any of your leagues. I know we kind of touched on uh, Acres a little bit before, and, and then conversely, uh, a prospect that maybe has slipped to the second, third, even fourth round, maybe. I know Asi is probably out there at that at that point, but a guy that you're targeting, a guy that you're trying to acquire in your dynasty leagues.
2: Well, you know the the guy that I, I that I pretty much passed on uh, completely, and, and like I said, most of it had to do with his landing spot was Cam Akers. Uh, I just think where he was going, as ADP. I wasn't event- I wasn't really interested in, in taking that kind of chance. I think he may eventually turn into a fantasy producer, but I just don't feel comfortable with the situation he's in, with the competition at running back, and they've had offensive line troubles. And I know Henderson struggled with McVay's offensive schemes last year, but you know. I think Akers is the guy who could – he could be the guy who gets stuck on a depth chart unless he turns into maybe like a, a third down receiver or something. But uh, in regards to sleepers, um, I might be being a little homer here, uh, uh, picking uh, Devin DuVernay from Texas, which is my alma mater. Like you're a badger, I'm a longhorn. Uh, I like his landing spot. I think he's been going in the mid to late third round in rookie drafts and early fourth. Um I think he has the ability to you know work his way into the starting lineup I think is it's a great fit and, and I think he has the ability to possibly become like a like a Edelman type for Lamar Jackson you know working from the slot position and I think their their wide receiver depth chart is unsettled they've been you know, drafting a lot of receivers over the last couple of years so they have a lot of youth there um but other than Marquise Brown I don't really think anybody's really established themselves there and I, I think that Duvernay uh, uh, has a has a really high Upside. So he's kind of a high-risk, high-reward type pick, um, and, and he could be somebody who you draft and look back one day and, and, and consider it one of your gems from the third round.
1: De- Devin DuVernay would have looked great in a Green Bay Packers uniform. I was rooting for it. I was rooting for it. I was rooting for it. It never came to fruition. So frustrating. But such is life. Hopefully such is not fantasy this year. Uh, Lou, this has uh, been awesome. Uh, congratulations on the 1250 number four title. Good luck defending that this year. Good luck in all your leagues. Thanks so much for joining me on the show this week. And we'll uh, talk again soon. Enjoy drafting season, my friend.
0: Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. It's been good talking to you.
1: Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the RotoViz Radio feed, it helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, and follow us on Twitter at roto Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.
3: Support your journey to wellness at dot forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.